Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Gokan Ekravun from Store Automator. He is the co-founder and the CEO of Store Automator. And Store Automator was actually created to scratch an itch for Gokan and his family. He had built a online brand called Beauty Bridge and Amazon came calling and they wanted him to list his products on Amazon and he had no way to do it. So he built his own in-house technology to connect to Amazon and many other digital channels over the last few years. It has now evolved into a full multi-channel listing, product information, inventory, and order management solution. We had a fantastic conversation about the evolution of e-commerce over the last decade plus. I think you're going to enjoy our chat. This is the E-Commerce Edge podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is my great pleasure to welcome Gukan Erkavun to the podcast. Welcome, Gukan. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And finally, have a chance to have a conversation with you. Yeah, we've been trying to tee this up for a little while now and just making with obviously with the holidays and everybody was away and then trying to find time in each other's calendars because I was traveling and just trying to find a time zone that would work for both of us was a little bit of a challenge, but we're here and I'm super excited to have you along for the ride. And we, we want to get into and talk a little bit about your platform store automator. But before we you know get into that, we get into details and we learn a little bit more about what you do and how you do it. How did you even get into this space? What's your story? What, what do you do? How do you do it? Why did you get into the e-commerce and digital space even to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, where should I start? It's been almost maybe more than 20 years now I've been in the e-commerce space, but I initially studied chemical engineering. I never think about being in e-commerce until at some time ago, my wife, which is also studied engineering, but decided to be pers not pursuing her career in engineering, choose to sell things on eBay. So that's the start of our e-commerce story. 20 plus years later, here I am. I am one of the leading solution provider for e-commerce sellers, store automator as a CEO and leading a team and developing a tool that we believe as an e-commerce seller, we always needed last 20 years. And that's a short story, how I've been introduced to e-commerce, but basically it's introduced through my wife, interestingly. And what's exciting is that now that you are working more in the automation and integration middleware space for omnichannel brands, you also have this experience through Beauty Bridge and establishing that marketplace. You don't just have a theoretical understanding about e-commerce. You have a very practical understanding of e-commerce in terms of being a retailer, building solutions for retailers, really understanding the heart of what it means to be a merchant in today's world and what it means to be an omni-channel merchant in today's world and the challenges that merchants face. You have firsthand experience with that as opposed to dealing only purely in the theory and trying to actually get feedback from the market from merchants. You've been a merchant, so you've walked a mile in their shoes. And that's exactly true. I've been in both sides of the equation. First is a merchant, uh, and that was my initial 10 to 15 years of e-commerce history. But in the meantime, as an engineer, I always have this urge of finding solutions to the problems. And Store Automator is the result of this urge. And of course, I didn't build this solution alone. I have a co-founder that happened to be my high school friend 
Uh, and after uh, maybe 10, 15 years, we go different ways. We connect again and we start to be working on different tools and different functionality for our, our own e-commerce company initially. But later on, we combine these tools as a solution and solutions as a platform. And actually, that's what give birth to Store Automator company. But yeah, the again, the short answer to your question, I've been on both sides of the equation as first as a merchant, but also as a solution provider. And I have definitely a practical experience what to be a merchant, but also I have a theoretical solution how to run a company, an e-commerce company better through these experiences. Makes complete sense. And if we think about Store Automator through a lens that people might completely understand what you're trying to achieve and maybe comparing it to some other solutions in the market. We've had omni-channel listing solutions for a long time. Probably one of the most famous brands that people would have heard of is something like a channel advisor or some of the other platforms out there like that, that have really built their brand on the back of allowing merchants to collect, uh, connect their product catalog, wherever that may come from. And oftentimes that catalog will originate in an e-commerce website of their own, a D2C website, say, for example, maybe they're built on Shopify or something like that. But they then, merchants want to, especially in today's world, and probably even more now than 11 years ago when you started Store Automator. This, this is the number, the sheer number and volume of digital channels that merchants can sell through has just exploded. You know, we don't just have marketplaces. We've got you know, pricing, you know, shopping comparison engines. We've got all sorts of digital channels. We've got social channels that we can sell through and list products on now. We've got many different digital channels that we can sell through and market through today. And that, that's only increased over the last decade plus. But how, when, you know, if we could look back 11 plus years ago when you started Store Automator, what gaps did you see in the market that you said, okay, Maybe there's some other listing engines. Maybe there's some other omni-channel engines out there, but they don't do all the things that I think an omni-channel engine should be able to do. And so I'm just going to go and build it instead. I'm going to, I'm going to scratch an itch or I'm going to plug a gap in the market that I see. It, there's a real need here. I've, you know, were you scratching an itch for yourself first? Were you saying, actually, I need this tool, so I'm going to build this tool. And then, hey, maybe I can make this available to other merchants at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another great question. So. Uh, maybe I go a little bit back, maybe how we started Bridge and what kind of needs we see that Bridge needs and, you know, how we start to be thinking about a solution that can solve that problem. So when Bridge started, the company started with few brands, but over the time, brand count increased, the SKU count increased, the channels that we were selling at that time include only our own website, maybe eBay. eBay was maybe much bigger than Amazon at the time. When somebody think about selling online, they think about eBay, not Amazon. So that was the era that we started Beauty Bridge. And originally, there was not really many shopping cart solutions out there that we can use. And one of the most popular shopping cart at the time was from Yahoo company. It's called Yahoo Store. Some of the e-commerce retailer may remember that time. Yeah. And on top of it, it was in the early stages of e-commerce era that, that there were not so many experts out there. We have to figure out many things ourselves. And uh, when you start to be selling on a uh, retailer side with a lot of different brands, lots of SKUs, 
lots of data that you have to be keeping, updating on a regular basis, bring, it, bring us uh, to a point that we need some kind of a fit engine to manage all this product data, to sync all these different uh, channels, including our own website. But like you mentioned, the comparison websites. At that time, we have sites like BizRate. We have sites like shopping.com. Even there is a site called chow.com. So these are the places that at that time, e-commerce buyer explore products and click and come to a site and make a purchase. It was crucial that we update these sites with the most relevant data, most up-to-date inventory and uh, correct prices. So that's the initial idea that we have to develop this fit engine and do it in real-time updates to all these different channels. So we don't sell something that we don't have. We don't sell something to a price that we don't want to ship. And we don't want to confuse the customer because we provide the wrong title or a wrong description. It was like the basic idea, actually, at that time we thought about. But as anything else, e-commerce is really fragmented. Just having a sales channel is not enough. You need a, a marketing feed going to a Google Shopping. At that time, they call it through. Or you need a ERP system or some kind of an order management system to manage your orders, to do the product purchasing and receiving. And what we realize, we have to connect these fragmented solutions together. So we started by building integrations just for our own company, for different platforms, the sales channels, the comparison websites, the marketing feeds to frugals and other mediums at the time. There was no Facebook at the time. And also powering our site search because site search is a big thing. At that time, it was a big thing. Now it's even bigger thing. Uh, and we use a, a, a system called SLI search. And SLI Very familiar. Literally... I, I, I used SLI back in the day. It came from, well, it actually came from New Zealand, yeah. but then it expanded into Australia. Oh, oh, yeah, that may be correct. That may be it's a, it's a, it's a Kiwi-based uh, Kiwi company. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I was in one of their events, I believe, maybe 15 years ago, somewhere in North Carolina. And the founder of that company, uh, in addition to building that tool, I believe he has a farm and then he has horses. I remember a story like that, but it was a very interesting guy and it was very interesting times. SLI search was powering our site search, but this SLI search company also need the product feed to show the right results when a site search happened. And, and pretty much at that time, the site search is a direct keyword search, most probably to a database. That, that, there was certain personalization, but it was very primitive at that time. I think we can talk about all the things now, what happened, but basically our fit engine was powering everywhere that we sell create a consistent product and stock availability across all these platforms. So we run a successful e-commerce company. So that is the initial stage of before the store automator start, how we should, how we should be running our e-commerce company. And these are the future functionality that we start building to, to do that. And we were using our own servers in our premises. There was no AWS that we can put everything in the cloud, which store to me right now, totally on the cloud. But these are the, they sometimes call old times. 
of e-commerce before 2001. So some of us, what you're saying is those of us with either a few gray hairs or a few less hairs, that was, that, that, that was the time we grew up in e-commerce is what you're saying. Exactly. I believe you are, you are better than me in terms of keeping your, yourself fit and looking good. Uh, but yeah, that was the case. That was the case. Uh, it was a different era at that time, like maybe old timer now compared to what we have now. It was old times, just every time. It was a good time too. Every year it's own needs and we were building tools for that needs at that time. And maybe the next would be Amazon. I think I should be talking about Amazon next because when it's come to sometime in 2000, Amazon started to be really big, started making big waves in the e-commerce space. They were uh, not only selling books and DVDs and CDs. Now they were going into different categories. As the category leader at that time in the beauty, beauty bridge get an invitation one day to be sell the brands and the product that we have in this uh, new and up and coming marketplace named Amazon. So uh, mm -hmm. that's maybe an important milestone for our story because when Amazon came, they made major changes as everybody may imagine in the e-commerce and in people's life as third-party seller or a brand or a manufacturer or, or a distributor, the whole retail business start to be evolved in a much faster pace than ever before. And this was 2007 and Amazon asked us to integrate with them. And what we did as an engineer, we look at their a a API and their API call uh, MWS at the time. Uh, and we start to be integrated with their API so we can consistently the information that we have uh, on our other channels to this new marketplace that becoming popular and people shop. But also that one came with hurdles because at that time, brands see Amazon as a threat. And since we are a retailer selling other brands, we have a lot of pressure from the brands or some restrictions when their product should be sold at. They see Amazon as a site that will degrade their brand value. And we have to appreciate that that may be not the case. This is the new way of uh, shopping and as a brand for the future, they should definitely consider an Amazon strategy and we can be part of their introduction to this new channel because we have the technology in, in, in place. We've been already in the e-commerce and digital commerce for a while. We've experienced how to do it in the right way by keeping the brand's value intact and doing the right thing, doing the right thing. But of course, things change a lot since then. And we can maybe talk about that maybe. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Such a great story. And you've given so much rich background and history to not only your businesses, but the industry at large and how it's evolved over time and how these channels have proliferated and how household names like Amazon, we remember a time when Amazon wasn't famous, when Amazon wasn't well-known, or at least when Amazon was really only known for books, CDs, DVDs, and media products, mostly. And then I remember when Jeff basically threw down the gauntlet and said, no, our intention is to be the everything store. That, that's our goal. Our goal is to sell literally everything that a consumer might want. We want to eventually be the supplier of choice 
for everything a consumer might want. And I was like, wow, this is an ambitious, it almost sounds insane today that someone that early in the e-commerce journey had that vision. It sound, I remember at the time thinking, wow, this is the level of arrogance here is phenomenal. We, we learned quickly over time that this wasn't arrogance. This was just pretty much confidence. And it was like, no, he just backed himself and his team to be able to deliver on that everything store model, or at least everything he could make a profit on model. We learned very early on that he was undercutting the market. And once they went public, he was very transparent with investors. Hey, we're not going to make money for a long time because we want to grab market share. And then once we've got a certain amount of market share, then we can start modifying our margins to make sure that we're profitable once we've got a significant market share. But if we look back to when you first started Beauty Bridge, was it always intended to be a, a third party marketplace or were you always intending it to be a first party, meaning you were the owner? of the platform and you were having other manufacturers, wholesalers and distributors effectively selling their products on your platform via you as the merchant of record, or was it always your intention to have third-party sellers be able to list on Beauty Bridge, similar to how third-party sellers list on Amazon? And as a follow-up to that question, when Amazon asked you and said, hey, would you guys like to list on Amazon? At that point, you would have been a third-party seller listing on Amazon, obviously, because Amazon wasn't going to buy the products off you in 1P, that you were just going to be another third-party listing partner on Amazon. And effectively, then, were you listing third-party products from your website in a third-party way on Amazon, or were you listing it as a first-party seller selling 3P on Amazon itself? Because obviously, there was a couple of bus different business models you were running or exploring at in those very early days. and the marketplace model was a little messy in those early days. It wasn't clear whether the 1P model or the 3P model was going to win the day. And then Amazon, eventually, they combined models. They were competing directly with merchants through first-party sales, where they buy products and sell them in competition with, with their merchants. But then they also had third-party merchants selling on Amazon in competition with Amazon. So it was a really, I remember those early days. It was very difficult for brands to decide whether Amazon was a friend or an enemy. And I think we ultimately ended up deciding that Amazon was a frenemy, meaning that they were a friend, but they were also a threat to our e-commerce business models. And did you recognize yeah. that very early on? And you were like, geez, okay, Amazon is relatively small now, but they have the potential to be a pretty big threat to us. And if we list on their website, are we actually helping them become a bigger threat to us or not? I believe, I should say, we were not really thinking them as a threat initially, but over the time, it become more and more obvious because when we started selling in Amazon, that there was pretty much no buy box. You are just like eBay. You are the only seller and you don't have to compete with other sellers. So that was the story for us when we initially started because Amazon was just starting. They're trying to build a catalog. And the only, the best way to build that is going to these companies that already has established relations with this brand and just work with them directly to increase the catalog size much faster rather than working with the brands one by one and try to increase the catalog size. Because as Jeff vision was always become an endless shelf for the world, how you make that happen? Uh, you just get as much as products, use UPCs into your platform. Initially, we never think that the way the things evolve, 
at some point, this uh, great platform initially uh, give us a lot of opportunity to, to grow much faster than that we can become uh, a competition to us. And when we start with realizing that what we see is we start to be seeing the brands that we're really doing well start to be working with Amazon directly. And we start to be seeing Amazon being sourcing these products directly from the brands and start to be selling uh, as 1P. And at that time, what we realized our sales is going down because now there are multiple sellers. One of them is Amazon. And most of the time, when Amazon has the products in stock, they pretty much get the sales because they are the perfect company to serve the customers. That's always their motto was. They are the, all about the customer. And that's true. They are all about the customer. But there are a lot of questions around, is this the right way to approach a partnership with the third-party sellers that we initially started or not? That's a different discussion, I believe. But that's happened. And that's happened starting maybe 2010. In a set around the same time, Amazon also introduced this new program called FBA. An FBA program is initially something that they develop for themselves, a great fulfillment uh, capabilities and offering them to the other companies and creating opportunities for themselves as a new revenue stream, FBA program. FBA also bring a, another level to the complexity of the e-commerce game, especially if you are depending on the Amazon selling, because FBA become also almost mandatory. You want to really do well in Amazon. Gradually, companies that selling through having more and more of the sales that customers place in on, on Amazon. So we really feel that over the time. And also at some point, rather than resisting it, we also uh, get into the FBA uh, wagon and we start to be working with FBA, sending our best sellers to FBA warehouses and get them fulfilled and continue building our system so uh, our system can handle these uh, additional complications. Now, if you think about it, you have multiple warehouses. You have your own warehouse and you have additional warehouse with your items there. So you have to really keep track of all these things and continue adding all these dysfunctional and futures in our system. At some point, what we start to be seeing also is there are some other marketplaces are coming into place. One of them is Jet.com. Later on, is acquired by Walmart and Walmart actually benefit from their know-how and the technology to build their own marketplace later on. Walmart asking the late boomer in the e-commerce space, I will say, but I, I can say as a, a long-time e-commerce veteran, they are catching up and, and they are doing pretty good. But that came later. Uh, but what we see is having a jet.com is actually good for our business because uh, now we're not only depending on one channel and we have multiple channels for the audience that we want to reach. And also we can diversify the revenue stream for our business. So we integrate with jet.com. But not only that, we start to be seeing some other companies like Sears. They have the, their own marketplace. Let's integrate with them too and let's sell through them. And also in 2010, in addition to FBA, Amazon also started to be pushing their global marketplaces. The, the marketplaces in Europe the marketplaces in other parts of the world, Asia, Australia. So we start to be actually working with them and we already have experience 
from our yoga store time with the international fulfillment. We were working with the brokers to make shipments on a cost-effective way to the other countries. And we were pretty good in that. And when Amazon introduced these additional channels, which in other countries, with other currencies, other content and language requirements, what we realize is now we have to continue to improve our tools to uh, continue to serve these marketplaces. We bring the multi-currency support to Store Automator. We bring the multi-language support to Store Automator. And also, since our company based in the U.S., we have to normalize all our orders before we push into our ERP system and doing all the accounting and the uh, tax requirements that we also have to comply with. This bring again, more complexity to e-commerce, but since in addition to be a retailer, we also have a technology solution provider arm, we continue to be implementing all these requirements into our solution and continue one of the ahead of our time in terms of being a retailer as a beauty rich company. And that's make store automated vision because what we see is channel addition, additional channels, we continue to grow. Uh, a, a, a successful e-commerce company be able to manage the complexity of their operation across all these different channels. And they should be doing this in one platform so they can control their business. And this platform should be flexible enough to be able to deal with all the intricacies and the requirements of other integrations, such as the ERPs, the shipping solutions, logistic companies, or front-end side apps. Let's say if the checkout have to be defined by where your product in which warehouses, a system have to communicate that information to the front-end system, which can be a shopping cart like Shopify or BigCommerce or Magento or WooCommerce, but we support many of them and give that important information to the customer during the very important time so the retailers charge the right amount before the checkout happens. But after the checkout happens, the system have to send the order fulfillment request to the right warehouse or a right fulfillment solution. So the customer has uh, a seamless experience from seeing the product, buying the product, getting all the email communication about the fulfillment, and finally receiving the product. So automate basically automate all these different parts of the e-commerce companies of course, not alone, but by integrating with different systems uh, through uh, different data protocols, through APIs, and so on. Over the time, we gradually build all these systems in, in, into our solution. But again, e-commerce is evolving, and it's really evolving really fast. When marketplaces start to be increasing, one of the things that also these marketplaces start to be uh, looking for is content. And the content uh, in a way that the customer has good experience. And what does it mean? A uh, customer, when they are making a purchase, they want detailed information about the product. They want to know uh, what kind of uh, attributes the product has. The attributes can be whether the product is required to be washed in a different temperature or what kind of colors and the variations and the sizes, 
But not only that, all kind of little details these marketplaces need before the listings get active become more and more important. If e-commerce company search something like Amazon error three, they will find a lot of articles because uh, this is what the e-commerce companies nowadays have to be dealing with. You know, how we can get our listing up and running on this marketplace, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or eBay or hundreds of other marketplaces that are coming up. Recently, a medical platform becoming a really important part of the marketplace community. And they are powering now uh, hundreds of other marketplaces that, that didn't exist five years ago. Last year, just last year, we got Macy's launch on the medical platform. Uh, before that, Best Buy Canada, Kirk or Colts, all, all, all these big retailers, they are building their marketplaces and they are using this marketplace platform. And Miracle is not the only one. There are other players out there. I'm just giving their name because they are maybe one of the leading one right now in the marketplace platform technology. And all these marketplaces require the same product slightly different way. And what needed is a solution, uh, a repository of a product information system have to modify all this data and uh, through the mapping system have to update the fields in the format these different marketplaces required. Just give you an example of a, a same product that can be called as burgundy in color. It may be co called as purple, maybe in Macy's. And this is their requirement. And if you don't send the data that way, your listing may not show up and you may not generate orders. What we realize is our system doing lots of things great. And we start to be working on also continue adding these new channels and adding all these new requirements of each of these marketplaces needed into our system. Data modification, uh, data manipulation, uh, and data normalization. It's part of our solution now. So if we summarize, you know, running a successful e-commerce company requires a lot of different aspects have to be done. And from our conversation with many of the prospects, and as we know from a lot of our customers, successful e-commerce company has average more than 10 different solutions in their tax stack. Uh, they have a, a PIM system that they may have, they may need. They may need a order management system. They may need a ERP. They may need a warehouse management system if they are, you know, a big warehouse. They may need a shipping solution. They may need a marketing feed solution. And on top of it, they have to work with agencies, service providers, third-party logistic companies, integrators to run really a successful e-commerce companies. And uh, what brought us is in addition to building the solution, since we cannot handle this complex problem alone, we should also start to be building a partner network. So we can be helpful, either it is a prospect, not our customer or our customers by uh, advising or working or referring to these partners that we believe they can do the job because we worked with them before. We know their capabilities and we can really match the customer needs with the right partners that can help them. So. Uh, we start to be also building this partner network. So if, you know, somebody go to sortimizes.com, 
they will find that. And we are always looking for new partners. We have conversation every day, new partners, because the e-commerce is very complicated. It's almost impossible. One company can handle every aspect of it. And not only that, every day is changing. Keep up with all these changes required a lot of resources. And as far as I know, there is no one company in this world have all that resources. So it's a very connected, very collaborative relations only help these e-commerce companies to run successful businesses. And that's our vision. In addition, building this solution that can be a channel aggregator, centralized repository for a product information, a place that orchestrate orders with different fulfillment channels, a solution that can work with a different shipping solution or warehouse management solution. We also work with agencies, integrators to provide a full solution for our customers in one ecosystem. So that's our kind of vision and that we are working every day to make it happen, to make it happen. Hey team, I have a big favor to ask you. Please pause this episode and send the link of this episode to someone you know that you think would enjoy this content. Really appreciate you spreading the word. This is how we grow. We're not a Joe Rogan. We don't have big, massive advertising budgets, but we absolutely want to grow. We want to get the learnings from all of these episodes out to as wide of an audience as possible, and we need your help to do it. Thank you, and now back to your listening. Wow. What an ambitious, what an ambitious effort. No, no, no. Ambitious. And look, I I love that. And if I was to distill the genesis of this down, it feels like Beauty Bridge and Store Automator was built primarily as a first party tool for Beauty Bridge. It was, it allowed you to onboard products from suppliers rapidly into Beauty Bridge. And so you understood what the requirements of the merchant were in terms of getting those the plumbing established between the supplier and you as the seller. So you knew firsthand, you had firsthand experience with the type of information and the type of integration that somebody like an Amazon or an eBay or a Walmart is going to need because you were one of those merchants. You through Beauty Bridge, you were a merchant. You had to onboard these products into your platform. You had to get real-time updates in terms of pricing, inventory, product details, attributes, all that stuff so that you could create a seamless buying experience for your beauty bridge customers. And then you said, okay, we're, we're not only taking product information in, but now we need to be able to send product information out to other sales channels that we want to list our products on. So cool. Now we need to build a tool to do that. So we're going to build a tool that, that we're going to basically be a guinea pig for our own product. We're going to create the plumbing between beauty bridge to Amazon, to eBay, to Walmart, to the shopping comparison websites, to the social channels. We're going to create our own outbound channel for our product data out to those sales channels. We're going to be our own guinea pig. We're going to write those solutions. And then we're going to, we're going to effectively monetize that solution by, by saying, okay, we built this middleware technology that does all the heavy lifting of aggregating the product data, information, pricing, inventory, et cetera. We're going to now externalize this instead of just using this, but like Amazon, right? They now have turned their infrastructure into, instead of just a cost center for the business, now it becomes a profit center in the form of AWS by Amazon. You're doing something similar. You're saying, okay, store automator for us, if we only use it internally, it's a cost center. We have to build this to run our business. We have no choice. We have to have something that provides the essential plumbing 
between suppliers, our retail brand, and other sales channels. Now, instead of it just being a cost center, now we can turn this into an externalized profit center by spinning it off as its own technology platform and solution that other retailers can leverage in the same way that Beauty Bridge has leveraged it. But we're going to continue to eat our own dog food. We're going to continue to use the solution internally. We're going to continue to develop it internally through those learnings that we're finding out as a retailer. But we're also going to grab the learnings from our other retailers that are using the platform and their unique requirements. We're going we're gonna to create a feedback loop in our product development lifecycle where we're going to use our own internal learnings and other third-party retailer learnings to help us to continue adding features and functionalities. As you said, new marketplaces are emerging every single day all around the world, local marketplaces, regional marketplaces, global marketplaces. This is happening. Marketplace sell selling is absolutely exploding everywhere. Amazon here in Mexico doesn't have the market to itself. They're competing very heavily with Mercado Libre, which is a very popular marketplace here in Mexico. There's other marketplaces, vertical specific or category specific marketplaces are becoming very popular. And so you have to continue to develop the product for yourself, but also for your merchant, your merchant users of your platform. So if, if I would sum this up in one, one sort of phrase is you had to develop this product for yourself. You're eating your own dog food. You commercialize the product and you spun it out as its own standalone product for other merchants to utilize. And that's how Store Automator came into existence in the first place. Exactly the whole story. And you really summarize it really. We really did it for ourselves. And they say that if you want to sell something, before you sell something, you better use it. And this is a, and we use it for our business. We know that it's working. And also think about it which in a very competitive category, beauty, because each category has their own kind of dynamics also. Uh, we should bring it up there. Yeah. And over the time, when the e-commerce evolving, whatever happened to e-commerce happened to specific categories faster than the others. So the beauty category is one of the category since sourcing beauty products is easier than the other categories, competition started earlier. So at some point in the past, we developed a competitive repricing tool. And that's also part of store automators. But at some point when Beauty Bridge start to be seeing the marketplace businesses really growing and maybe as a retailer, Beauty Bridge also explored the marketplace journey. We add a module to our system and which some of our customers also actually utilizing it, a marketplace module. So by doing that, Beauty Bridge can expand its catalog much faster than initially be doing it through the dropshipping module that we have, lots of suppliers in a very short period of time start to work with Bridge, And that was also a game changer for Bridge because rather than becoming uh, only an online-only retailer, Bridge become a hybrid marketplace, both sourcing the products, keeping it in, in its warehouse and ship it to customer as just like a, a traditional online retailer. But also in addition to that, expanding the product catalog and the selection for its customers much faster through this dropshipping relation and store to it again, power this business model. And from as a first experience, uh, this is a good model, being a hybrid model. And it's resembled to Amazon model in a way, if you can think of. So Amazon initially pretty much store every product that they sell, the books and the CDs, 
But later on, what they realize is they should work with the suppliers, brands, and that give them an opportunity to sell product on their platform as a top part of the marketplace. And maybe the marketplace evolution that's happening here is just like following the footstep that Amazon has over the last 20 years, actually, but not going through all the maybe mistakes that Amazon did because they learned from that. So that's why the Walmart marketplace is growing so, so much faster because they follow the footsteps that Amazon has and not maybe uh, going into trenches that Amazon fall and, and get out from it after that by a billion dollar mistakes. Bit of a story kind of uh, resembles that in a way. And then I would also mention one thing as immersion, which is very important term for me is channel diversification. And channel diversification if you were searching Google, you will find the kind of defining Google, what is channel diversification is. Google, when you search something, and if they like a description really well, they show that one is the description of the term. So channel diversification is actually a, a word that I truly believe. And as a store to a company, we are 100% about channel diversification. And another term, is really important for us is the digital transformation. And maybe the digital transformation is something also which went through over these years to stay ahead of the curve and to stay in business and be competitive. So digital transformation also is an ongoing process. And in addition to helping the build bridge in the digital transformation over the years, we also help hundreds of other companies last five to six years now, once we commercialize Store Automator with their digital transformation projects. And we really believe a successful e-commerce company has to really think truly the tax stack that they need and has to really spend time how this tax stack will serve to their needs. And almost like a puzzle, they have to build that tax stack with the talented people that they may work either they may have that people in their team, or they may work with the outside agencies, integrators, project. That's another term, digital transformation and channel diversification. These are the two terms that e-commerce companies have to be really truly think about and apply to their businesses to be relevant in 2024, maybe in 2034. That's an ongoing process. Every day, things are changing and evolving and work with the companies that has capabilities to see that work with the people that can see this and prepare them because these are ongoing projects and they are long-term projects and it may be very costly if it is not done properly. No question about that. Yeah. I think that's why, I think that's why people like you and me both exist. And maybe this, maybe this gray hair is good for something after all. We've seen a lot of evolution of our industry over the last, the reality is if you've been doing this 20 plus years, you've seen a lot of change in our industry and you've seen a lot of evolution. You've seen a lot of patterns emerge. Okay, cool. This thing's maybe new. This channel's maybe TikTok, for example. Maybe this channel's a little bit new. There's nothing really truly new. There's similarities and there's patterns that we see emerging over and over again. And when we see those patterns, we can then seize those new opportunities quicker because we know how it's going to turn out. We've seen, we've seen this movie before. We've read this book before and we know the direction this stuff is going to head. 
And it is very, it's a very exciting space to play. I think AI has is, is, is been transformational for a lot of businesses and it will be you know, more transformational moving forward. I, I note that on BeautyBridge, at least as far as I could tell, you're running BigCom for the, the main core platform. You used to run uh, Miracle for the marketplace component. As you said, it sounds like Store Automator has picked up the heavy lifting of the marketplace piece and now you offer that in your own platform. And so again, scratching an itch, taking some functionality that was provided by a third party, rolling it into your own technology and saying, hey, you know, why can't we build this? Why wouldn't we build this? If we can make this cheaper, faster, better, more efficient for us, then that means we can make it cheaper, faster, better, more efficient for our customers that are using Store Automator at the same time. So continuing to scratch that itch. I absolutely love it, mate. It's, it's, it's a very exciting story. I absolutely love it. Now, as we come down to the end of our time together, and I really appreciate your time, Gokan, it was, you have such a rich history in this space and you have so many great stories and anecdotes to tell. It's very exciting. I love these walks down e-commerce memory lane. It's, it's always fun for me to reminisce my own self about my past, my history, my experience. And I always love to turn the microphone over to my guests. I always love to let them ask me one question, any question they like can be personal or professional. So Gokan from Store Automator, what is your question for me today? Maybe I can ask a personal question if you don't mind. Uh, of course. So you live in different part of the world and you have different experience with people in the e-commerce field in different part of the world. Can you share what kind of differences that you see over the years by living in different part of the world? And you think it's really the different part of the world, people have similar problems, different problems. Do they have solutions to the problems in the same way? Do they know there is a solution exists in other part of the world? And how do you help that people? Maybe that's the question, a little bit personal, a little bit maybe professional, but if you give us a guidance on that, because I live in the U.S. I'm originally from uh, Turkey, but pretty much my professional life been always in the U.S., even though we serve customers in different parts of the world, but uh, as a person, that's my experience mostly is about. I want to hear from you, uh, your opinion about e-commerce in different parts of the world, what kind of problems, what kind of solutions, what kind of things people think about e-commerce there. Man, what a great question. I could probably spend an hour talking about this, but I, I will say one thing. Humans are humans. And the reality is we all have similar motivations, I think. We want to have a better life. We want to build a better life for our families over time. We want to advance. We want to learn. We want to create. I think fundamentally humans are creators. We're creative beings. And we've evolved to build tools to improve our life all the way back from when we were creating axes and we were creating picks and we were creating all these different tools to improve society in building things and designing things and to creating homes for ourselves and businesses for ourselves. The human history is just filled with the idea of creation and making tools to make our lives better. That is the story of humanity. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And, and even with AI, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. That is going to elevate and it's going to enhance our ability to create and to create faster and to create new things in the world. Even from an e-commerce perspective, certainly there are certain tools that evolved in a given market to do a certain job that was a unique challenge in that market, right? And each country also has evolved to embrace e-commerce at different paces. And oftentimes that is driven by a couple of different factors. Regulatory factors are probably the single 
biggest challenge to e-commerce. When we talk about different countries, the regulatory environment, the business regulation, the tax regulations, the importation, exportation regulations, all of those things play a massive part in how fast e-commerce can evolve and be adopted internally in a country, as well as in terms of cross-border commerce into and out of that country. And that plays a massive role. The adoption and the pace of adoption of technology also plays a massive role in the adoption of e-commerce because reality is you needed to have a computer, you needed to have cheap, relatively cheap and broad access to the internet for e-commerce to take hold in a country. So any country that was relatively advanced from a computer technology perspective and a, and a computer adoption perspective, plus any country that had internet early obviously adopted e-commerce early because you needed things to be at a certain speed, dial-up made things challenging. So once high-speed internet became ubiquitous and computing became ubiquitous, e-commerce uptake skyrocketed in those countries. And I can use one, I can, well, I can use several examples, but one example is India. And if we think about India as uh, a proxy for emerging markets, right? And markets that uh, adopted technology late, but once they started adopting it, they adopted it super rapidly. And I, I have quite a few Indian friends and, and I know the story about how the first computer that ever existed in many Indian households was the smartphone, right? Many Indian households, they didn't start with a desktop computer, moving to a laptop computer, moving to a tablet, then having a cell phone. Like the, many families in India didn't go through that evolution. It was too expensive. Those early computers were just, desktop computing was super expensive for Indian families. But not only was their first computer a cell phone or a smartphone in many instances, but that meant that they never had to have terrestrial internet either because terrestrial internet was only in the biggest cities of India. The, the outlying villages and towns they didn't have broadband internet that came over the telephone lines. And so oftentimes they didn't even have telephone lines or maybe they had a pay phone or whatever it might be in the town, but they didn't have phone lines going to every single house in the village. And so not only was the smartphone oftentimes the very first computer that an Indian family may have, but it was also their first opportunity to connect to the internet too, because they now could connect wirelessly to the internet. And so when we think about that, and so if that's your first computer and if it's your first chance to connect to the internet, then that becomes your first chance to buy off the internet too. And so if you start that far down the track and you start in a modern way interacting with the internet and you start from a place of, okay, my first interaction with the internet now becomes commerce, then obviously the adoption of e-commerce starts to accelerate super rapidly from that low base. And I've seen in New Zealand, New Zealand is a, it, it's a dichotomy in a way because a lot of new technology emerges out of New Zealand, but yet the cultural norms meant that because New Zealand, for example, in comparison to Australia, is a much more conservative country. And New Zealand is far more conservative from a business perspective, from a technology adoption perspective and everything else. New Zealand is just more conservative than Australia. So even though the same technology was available at about the same time to New Zealand and Australia, Australia grew e-commerce share of total retail sales much faster than New Zealand. Pre-pandemic in New Zealand, e-commerce was only about 9% of total retail. In Australia, it was already 13, 14, 15% pre-pandemic. So that shows you how much faster 
e-commerce got adopted in Australia versus New Zealand. Now, post-pandemic in New Zealand, it's about 12%, 12 to 13%. And Australia is now nearly 20% as a percentage of total retail uh, in e-commerce. So I think there's several things. There's the regulatory framework, there's the access tech, 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 and there's the cultural acceptance of new technology in the pace at which the culture will allow you to accept that new technology. Those feel like the three primary things I've witnessed in terms of the adoption of e-commerce and, and technology at large. And I see here in Mexico, I see a very similar trajectory as I saw in New Zealand. So right now, e-commerce is a roughly 9% of total retail sales in Mexico. But the younger generation who started out and grew up with a cell phone in their hand, they now expect to be able to do yeah. most of their transactions digitally. And so I think there's going to be a hockey stick curve in Mexico, similar to how there's a, a, a more of a hockey stick curve of adoption in New Zealand, I think they're going to follow a very similar trajectory. So those are just some of the observations I've had as I've traveled the world and tried to understand local e-commerce markets better. A great answer. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on this. And uh, I think we're going to continue evolving in this uh, space and we wanna, we're going to see all this up and coming countries, which has single digit, maybe right now, they're just going to explore in the coming years. So e-commerce is just continue grow, looks like. It's still a baby. And I try to help people that I work with in our industry understand we're still in the first innings of e-commerce. A lot of people that come into the industry now and they're young and they're coming into the industry and they're hungry and they're excited to make things happen and shake things up. I try to rem remind them, we, we have seen e-commerce grow from zero depending on the country, from zero to nine to 10 to 20, or in the UK, it's now at about 30% of total retail sales are done through e-commerce in the UK. The vast majority of retail sales are still done in every country in the world. They are still done through physical retail. So when we start to get, those of us that work in the industry, we start to get maybe a little bit of a big head and say, this is the new sexy, these digital channels are the new sexy uh, channels that retailers should be selling through. We have to eat a very big dose of humble pie and accept the fact that we still, as of 2024, we are in the extreme minority of total retail spend, even today, as of 2024. And we have a lot of work to do to make e-commerce ubiquitous. We have a lot of work to do. Listen, Gokhan, this has been a fantastic conversation. I super appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.